Hey, if you have a Bible, would you go to Daniel chapter six? Daniel chapter six. I'm I'm excited to share this message. I'm really excited to share the message tonight and uh, revival nights. It's going to be fire. So we're going to have a good time. Daniel six. Today, I want to talk to you about availability, availability. Daniel six in chapter one. I'm reading from the new King James. You can follow on the screens if you want. Verse one says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we should not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Isn't it an amazing thing how the enemy notices when you start to do better than your surroundings? And he does everything within his power to tear you down. Look at this. The Bible says the next few verses that the governors, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, they all consulted together against Daniel, but they still couldn't take him out because if God is for you, come on somebody who can be against you. It doesn't matter if the president, if you're on the president's hit list, it doesn't matter because the Bible says if you belong to God, then he has got you. They can throw you in a lion's den, but God will shut the mouth of the lions. Come on. Is there anybody grateful today that you serve the God who shuts the mouth? of the lions. All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, thank you for this incredible opportunity to be here, to hear your word. I thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for this and just, uh, honoring me with this opportunity to share with this great people. I'm humbled and I'm grateful. Thank you that my family was able to be here. We give you glory for everything that's going to be done. Everything that's already been done and said in your name, in Jesus name, we pray and everybody said, amen. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because Daniel chapter six is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. See, they create a law that says that you cannot pray to anyone but the king. And because Daniel's God isn't the king there in Babylon, Daniel's God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He decides, hey, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And so it puts him at odds with the king. They throw him in a lion's den. And Daniel is rescued in the lion's den. And it's such a powerful moment that the king actually decides that Daniel's God is Lord in that moment. And I just love this story, but I can't really get into this story because this, I just get stopped right here at the beginning when it says that Daniel distinguished himself because the Bible says there was an excellent spirit in him. And I wanted to tell you this today because this is something that Daniel did for himself. See, the Bible says Daniel distinguished himself. It doesn't say God did this for Daniel. Now watch God got Daniel in the room, but Daniel's excellent spirit kept him in the room. I just want you to know today that God's favor can get you into any room he wants to get you into, but it's going to be your excellent spirit that determines whether or not you get to stay in that room. So I'm going to have to develop an excellent spirit. And the Bible says one of the, one of the things that was noticed in his excellent spirit is that he was faithful. One of the, one of the things about being faithful is being dependable or available. Uh, I'm, I'm here if you need me. God, I'm here if you want to use me. I know there are all kinds of people around me and maybe some more talented people around me. But God, if you can use anything, Lord, 
you can use me. I remember when I was playing basketball in high school and I wasn't that great of a basketball player early on, but I started to get better. And in between my junior and senior year, the guy that was playing in front of me, I thought I was going to beat him out, but he was starting all season and I wasn't getting any playing time. Uh, But during the summer, he got injured. And uh, by the grace of God, I I was just kidding. That's terrible. That'd be terrible. But at the moment, I was really happy about it. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was super happy that he was hurt. And uh, believe me, I've repented. I repented again when I told the story in first service because something on the inside of me still felt good about that moment. That's wrong. That's wrong. But I got my opportunity and I got my opportunity not because I was better, but because I was available. Come on. Is there anybody in the room today? He says, I might not be as talented as everybody else. I might not have the background everybody else has. I might not come from the same place, but God, I'm available to you. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Daniel made this decision to distinguish himself. He, he decided that the, the, the circumstances that he was surrounded by were not going to determine the quality of his life. See, Daniel didn't go on Google and do a search for jobs in Babylon. He is not in Babylon because he wanted to be in Babylon. He's in Babylon because he has been taken from his home and he's been held captive in Babylon. But he is living a life he didn't choose to live but he is also living a life he chooses to live. I don't know. There's a dichotomy there. There's, there's this part of us that has stuff in our life that we didn't choose, but we're going to make the decision that our life isn't going to choose for us how we live, even though our circumstances might change. My perspective on how I see what I'm in is going to change. And I love that Daniel made a decision that even though I'm in the middle of the worst circumstance of my life, I'm still going to make myself available to be used by God. I'm not going to wait for things to change. I'm not going to wait until I get free. But right here in the middle of it, I'm going to say, God, use me for your glory. And I love it because not only is, is excellence represented here, but I love other versions of the Bible because they use different words. And so they give us a little bit of insight, a little bit further, maybe than we see on the surface. See, the word excellence in the New American Standard is the word extraordinary. What that means is Daniel didn't do what other people would do in the same circumstances. See, as a follower of Jesus, it's not that you're going to go through uh, things uh, differently than everybody else. It's not as if you're going to be, you know, you're going to be able to avoid trouble. There's no such thing as a grace that avoids Come on, trouble. There's a grace that gets you through trouble. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's no, there's no such thing as a grace that takes you around the problems. It takes you right through the problems. It's, it's not that you won't go through what other people go through. It's just that you've got an extraordinary God on your side, so you're not going to act like everybody else acts when they go through the same thing that you're going through. I love that. And then the NIV uses the word exceptional. This word is awesome because it reminds me of my kids. See, to get the word exceptional, you need the word accept. And sometimes my kids come to me and they say stuff to me like, hey, dad, everybody's going to the party except me. And I look at him. I say, that's because you're exceptional, my child. I have to say it to this one a lot, but that is because you are exceptional. You are different. You are unique. You are not like everybody else. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You've been set apart unto God. See, when you were born into this family, you got a problem in your life now. You are exceptional. You are going to, for the rest of your life, have to get comfortable with everybody did it except me. I don't know if there's anybody in the room who feels exceptional this morning, but everybody was afraid except me. Come on. Everybody walked away except me. Everybody would have quit in that situation but I, I stayed faithful. And that's what I see in Daniel's life. He made this decision for himself. It reminds me of Colossians 3 and 23, when it says, whatever you do, 
work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And I love this verse, not just because of what it says. I love this verse because of the audience that he's saying it to. Like, this is not an audience that's frustrated because they didn't get the promotion they asked for. This is not an audience that's, that's frustrated and angry because they didn't get the new car. This is not someone who is frustrated and angry because they're in a marriage they don't like. This is, this is a group of people who are in the worst possible circumstance you can be as a human being. They're enslaved by other human beings. And the apostle looks at them in that condition and says, hey, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. For you don't work for human masters. You work for the Lord. Man, that's powerful because that speaks to me, doesn't it? Like I'm not in that condition. And so if they can do it, come on, somebody. So can we. Whatever condition we find ourselves in, I'm not waiting. In other words, the apostle was saying, don't wait until you get out of bondage to live like you're free. Don't wait until you get out of debt to live like you're free. Don't wait until your circumstances change for you to live free. Matter of fact, right now, in the middle of whatever you're going through, go ahead and give God some praise. Go ahead and lift up a shout. Go ahead and be faithful. Go ahead and say, God, I'm available. You can use me, Lord. Because listen, the best ability you can give God is availability. When you look through the Bible and you look at the the heroes of the Bible, Not all of them had the same skill set. Not all of them came from the same background. Not all of them had the same family dynamics. But what all of them were able to do is this. They were able to say, God, I'm available. Some of them were in situations, really, really difficult situations, but still said, God, I am available. Daniel was able to serve three or four different kings. In other words, Daniel outlasted the kings in his day because he made himself available to God. When you are available to God, it will give you lasting power. It will give you the ability to stay when other people go. It will give you the ability to be fruitful when everybody else is wondering, where is the fruit? It will give you the ability to be something that you never imagined you would be because you just say, God, I'm available. And when God's power hits your natural life, anything is possible. Has anybody in the room experienced God use you in a place that you were not gifted to be used, use you in a situation that you didn't have the education for, use you in a room that you shouldn't have been in? I've been in rooms my whole life I never should have been into, but God is faithful, isn't he? He will take just an available. He's not waiting for perfect people. He just wants some available people. And that's the point of all of this, isn't it? The point of all of this, this is that someone would go. Isaiah 6 and 8, Isaiah is experiencing the presence of God in a powerful way. And in the middle of all of that, angels flying around, the glory of God is is taking place. And it's incredible. God stops everything and he goes, oh, 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 by the way, I want to ask a question. Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. In Mark chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, Jesus comes and he calls the disciples and he says, hey, follow me. The Bible says that they left everything they had and followed Jesus. How many of you in the room believe that Jesus is worth leaving everything for? I do. I do. Sometimes, though, uh, I think we we uh, want to be more available than we actually are. Some of us are available. We're just not emotionally available. 
Like we, we're not in a relationship. We're just not emotionally <laughs> ready to be in a relationship. I mean, we could be because we're not connected to anybody else, but I'm really still emotionally connected to that last situation. So I'm really not available. It reminds me a lot of times of people who wanted to follow Jesus in the Bible, but he would ask certain things of them and they would say, uh, yeah, I'll get back to you on that. Right. Or let me go handle this first. Right. Jesus was like, nobody that puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of me. Why? Because Jesus truly is worthy of leaving everything for. No questions asked. Just Jesus, you're worth it all. No looking back. Jesus, you are worth it all. And there was a young rich ruler that came to Jesus in Matthew 19. And the Bible says that he came to Jesus. He said, hey, man, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. Matter of fact, forever. Jesus looked at him and said, hey, have you been keeping the commandments? He said, well, yeah, since I was a kid, I've been keeping all of them. Lies. Because he's getting ready to prove to them to him that he's breaking the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Watch this. He says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to take all of your money. I want you to sell it and give it away. I want you to sell all your stuff and give all the money away to those people that are in need. He couldn't. The Bible said, why? Because he had a lot of stuff. I've been keeping the commands. No, you haven't even been keeping the first one. You love your money more than you love God. I'm just wondering if we, I know I want to say, God, I'm available, but is there something in my life that really, truly isn't available to God? So if, so watch this, if availability is the best ability I can give God, but I'm not always fully available, then what I need to do is begin to cultivate a life that is available to God. See, none of us are where we want to be in God. We're all in a journey. But what we have to do is we have to recognize where we fall short and say, hey, let me let me cultivate this life. I'm not all the way there yet. Like I'm still in a place where God is asking stuff of me. I'm not ready to give up. Like I'm in a place right now where I really need to make a step of faith when it comes to my church. And can I be honest with you? There's things there are things that God is asking of me that I'm just not ready to do. Like I'm scared, like to build another building, to 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 go ask a bank for 17 million dollars. I'm I'm a little scared right now, but I'm, I'm praying, God, let me cultivate a life to where when you come, I can drop everything and just say, hey, here am I. Use me for your glory. Where do you want to go? So how do I do that? Let's start by doing this. First thought, let's give our boat to Jesus. Let's give our boat to Jesus. In Luke chapter five, the Bible says Jesus is wanting to preach and a crowd is pressing against him and he finds himself at the ocean and so, or at a body of water, I'm sorry, a lake. And he says, hey, let's, maybe I could just get on this boat. And so he steps in this boat and he looks at Simon. He says, hey, will you push me out? Well, at this point, Simon has an issue. He can either say, yeah, Jesus, you can use my boat. Or you can look at Jesus and say, hey, listen, you know what? That's a boat. It's for fishing, not for preaching. But I love that Simon went ahead and let Jesus use his boat for something that the boat wasn't necessarily created to do. Why? Because when Jesus comes back on the shore, he sends them back out into the water and he says, hey, I want you to fish again. And when they fish again, the Bible says that they start to catch so many fish that it overwhelms them where they hadn't been catching anything. Now they're catching so much that their nets begin to break and they have to call other boats in to help them with this catch. Why? Because whatever you give Jesus access to, he can bless. But if you don't give him access to it, it won't experience the overflow of the blessing. And you'll be trying so hard. And there are a lot of people like, Jesus, why aren't you blessing my business? And he's like, you won't let me preach from it. 
You want to use it for your glory and not for my glory. And if you would let me have the glory in your business or your boat, in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, whatever you do, if you'll let me in, then I can bless it because whatever I get access to, I'll turn it around. Whatever I get involved in, it gets supernatural power and strength that comes along with it. I love that. I love that whatever we give him access to, he will bless. And sometimes I think we're a lot like we are when our friends want to ride, but we haven't cleaned our car. Or like, or, like, or like there were times when I was growing up and my dad needed a ride somewhere and I hadn't cleaned my car and I knew that my dad was going to judge me because my dad always evaluated a person's character on how clean their car was. And so like every time he would get in my car, I'd be picking up like trash and throwing over the back. I'm like, I'm usually not, I don't usually eat this much McDonald's. I promise you, like I'm not, I don't eat all those Snickers. Those are friends. And I think, you know, another person left those there. And then like in my mind, I'm thinking when I turn the car on, what music is going to be playing as my dad is sitting in the car? And there were, there was one time I turned it on right when an F-bomb just popped out of Tupac's mouth. And I turned to my dad and I was like, the devil must have just invaded my radio. I don't even know. And then I, I acted like it was the radio, but he pressed eject on the tape player and a Tupac tape came out. <laughs> he was like, no, that wasn't the radio. That was, that was you. And so like, I get afraid sometimes, don't we, of like letting people into our space because we're afraid of what they might see. But I love this about Jesus. He doesn't care what your car looks like. He doesn't care what your boat looks like. He doesn't care what your life looks like. If he wants to come in, you might as well say, Jesus, come on in. And I know there are things that you want to hide from him, but I, can I tell you this? He already knows everything. He knows the worst part of you. He knows the worst thought you have ever thought, thunk, thinketh. He knows it. And you're like, oh God, no, go ahead and let him in. Listen, you will never be clean enough for him. That's why he has to come in and cleanse you. Come on from the inside out. Let Jesus in. Don't wait until you're perfect. Don't wait for all the circumstances to line up. Go ahead right now. God, I know it's messy in here, but can you use me? Oh yeah, absolutely. See, the disciples were there and the Bible says they were washing their nets. And the reason you wash your nets is so that the nets won't break. Well, what happened? The nets broke. Why? Because whatever Jesus wants to do in your life, it's bigger than you can handle in your own power and strength anyway. Your personal holiness will never be holy enough to handle what God wants to do in your life. You need the righteousness that comes from God. Is there anybody in the room grateful that when you gave your life to Jesus, that you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Come on, somebody. I'm thankful that he cleaned me up. He turned my life around and he has given me this incredible purpose. So I got to give him access. Second thought is this. Sometimes I need to repent of a consumer mindset. Because I'm not as committed to serving and giving as I think I am sometimes. Like I want to think, oh, I'm the, I'm the greatest servant in the house of God. I'm the pastor. And then I start to think, if I wasn't paid to be here, would I? There are some Sundays where Monica's like, you need to go to church. And I'm like, why? She's like, you're the pastor. You're preaching today. <laughs> they pay you to do this. Like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I wonder if I struggle coming to church sometimes. How much do y'all struggle coming to church sometimes? Like I'm paid to do this. Y'all have to come and then you pay to come. (laughs) You don't pay, you give offerings and tithes. You know what I'm saying? They don't swipe your credit card at the door before they let you in. Or do you? That's a good idea. We're going to try that at home. I'm just kidding. But, but, (laughs) but I'm like, I, I, sometimes I'm like, gosh, I, I, I want to think I'm the greatest servant, but uh, most of the time I'm not. 
I want to think I'm the greatest giver, but most of the time I'm not. So I have to cultivate this in my life. I have to begin to do some things that are uncomfortable for me. I have to give in some ways that are uncomfortable for me. I have to write some checks that are uncomfortable for me to write. I have to say yes to serving in some areas that are uncomfortable for me to serve in. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Some of y'all are like, "I, I would serve in the kids ministry, but I don't feel called to do kids ministry. Listen, I don't feel called to do laundry, but I still have to do laundry. You know what I'm talking about? So sometimes you got to do, you got to serve in an area that is beyond what you feel called to do so that you make an investment there that really draws you in and begins to expose some areas of your life that you're really falling short in. God, I'm a servant, but I'll only serve here, 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 and here. I'm a giver, but I'll only give this, 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 and this. Man, we need, we need to commit to serve. And watch this. Serving is so powerful because serving opens doors and and we don't do it for the doors to open. But listen, when we do it, doors open. I've watched so many people through the years, they get so frustrated because they try, they get to a door and they try to get in the door and the door won't open. And, and they're, they're looking for keys and they don't have none of their keys fit. And they're looking around for somebody who's got a key and nobody's around. And then they start to kick the door and they can't get in. So many Christians frustrated because, oh man, just doors aren't open, man. You know, I went to college. I thought this door would open. I, I got the education. I thought this door, I, I did that internship. I thought this door would open. I, I've got the background. I thought this door would open. My parents have the influence. I thought this door would open. You know my family name. The door still won't open. That's because some doors you will never have the key to. The person you serve has that key. And the only way you're getting access to that door is if you serve somebody. There have been so many times in my life where God has opened doors to me that I had nothing to do with. It was all about the person I was serving. When I first started preaching, I was getting invited to some places and I thought, man, look at this, man. You must be a really good preacher. Oh, wow. Look at this door that's opening. You, you must be really successful. God, really, his hand is all over your life. And then they started to introduce me. And they would say stuff like, hey, we've got Robbie Hilton here today. And it'd be crickets like nobody would say anything. And then they would be like, you know, it's it's Pastor Richard Hilton's son. Richard Hilton's my dad. And when they said my dad's name, the whole place would go crazy. And I'm like, well, I started to realize like this door is open to me, not because I'm gifted, but because of who I'm serving. Some of y'all don't believe that. So let me read a scripture for you. That's going to just kind of confirm that for you. Second Kings chapter three, verse 11. The Bible says this, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Did you catch that? That little verse, did you see, did you see that? They needed a word from God and they called Who'd they call? They called Elisha. Why? Because he poured water on the hands of Elijah. They they didn't say, hey, uh, we need a prophet. Oh, man, I heard of this guy. His name's Elisha. You have got to get his podcast. Like it's it's fire. Like you have to get his podcast. And then when he prophesies, he hits the nail on the head. He reads your mail. It's like heaven is sending him messages. No, 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 none of that. Nothing about his talent. Nothing about his gifting, nothing about his miracles. They said, this guy served Elijah. 
And this incredible door of opportunity and influence opened to him, not because of his gift, but because of who he served. So I have to commit to serve. I can't be such a consumer. I can't think why I can't always be like the church exists for me. The pastors exist for me. The world exists for me. I have to start to believe and think, change my mindset to I'm here for them. Didn't Jesus say, hey, if anybody wants to be the greatest, he's going to serve. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that about Jesus. It said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. This is the mindset of a follower of Jesus. I serve and I give. Second Corinthians 9 and 10 says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Notice the first few words there. It says, now he who supplies seed to who? The sower. A lot of people are like, where's the seed? God's like, it's reserved for the sower. Every time I give you seed, you consume it. See, a consumer mindset says every time I get increased, it's there so that I can get more. No, the, the Bible teaches us that as a believer, every time I get increased, it's so that I can sow more. It's not so that I can eat more. It's so that I can sow more. It's so that I can give more. It's so that I can love more. Every time God does something in my life, it's not for me to hold on to it. And to eat it for myself, it's to put it in the ground so that a harvest is reaped. So not only do I eat, but everybody that is connected to me eats. I just want you to know what God wants to do in your life is so much bigger than just you and your problems. He wants to bless you beyond just the ability to keep the lights on. He wants you to be able to turn somebody else's lights on. That's what he wants to do. See, Genesis 41 is so powerful. It teaches us something about God's blessing. In Genesis 41, the Bible says that there the, the king had a, had a dream and Joseph interprets the dream and he says, hey, what this means is there's going to be uh, seven years of plenty and then there's going to be seven years of famine. Joseph says for the seven years of plenty, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to put away and we're going to sow more so that when we get to the seven years of famine, there is plenty left for us to have what we need to survive. But what we do sometimes, especially in American uh, culture, is we get more, so we buy more. And then we get to famine and we blame God for not providing. And God said, no, I provided for you back here. But it wasn't so you could buy a big screen television. It was so that you could sow so that when the famine came, you would have what everybody else doesn't have. So we can't ever blame God because he is our provider. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. God does not put us in a begging situation. We do that to ourselves. Sometimes we get a promotion and we're like, oh, the promotion means I get a bigger house. No, God said, no, a famine is coming. I need you to get in a situation where when the famine comes, you've got enough. (laughs) Isn't it funny how we blame God for stuff we do to ourselves? (laughs) Isaiah 30 and 23 says, Then he will give you rain for the seed, which you will sow into the ground. Where's the rain? It's reserved for the seed sown, not for the seed in your hand, not for the seed that you consumed with your mouth, but for the seed in the ground. You got to put it in the ground. I don't, I don't have a lot to put in the ground. It doesn't matter. Just put something in the ground. I don't have as much as no, put something in the ground. You have an opportunity to give. You walk by those receptacles out there. Throw a quarter in, throw a dollar. I don't know how they work. I don't know if, I don't know how, if there's a hole big enough for, for, for whatever you've got today or if, 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 it's, if it's small enough for what. You just need to put something in. It's not really, 
it's not really a bin for you to drop the stuff in. It truly is dirt for you to sow seed into. That's what it is. Third thought is this. I need to settle offenses. This is so important. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is so important because when you are offended, you cannot receive. You especially cannot receive in the area that you are offended in. See, for some people, when I started talking about money, you completely shut me off there. You were good. We were talking about availability and all of that stuff and not being talented. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you said money. And why? Because you have been legitimately offended in that area. Just because you're offended and you're hurt doesn't make what happened to you illegitimate. It really hurt and it really happened. But you really need to let it go. Because it is an area where God is trying to give something to you that you can't receive from him. And so somebody starts to talk about God's plan for your finances and you shut them off. God's saying, I want to heal you there. I want to give you something, but you can't receive what I want to give you until you let that thing go. And I know maybe the previous church did something to you. Your previous situation did something or they really manipulated you and asked for money. And then you found out they were using it for the wrong purposes. But can I tell you, this church isn't like your previous church. This is a new thing that God is doing in your life. Don't bring an old mindset into a new situation or you will ruin the new situation. A lot of people get, get new marriages and get new money and they bring the same person into the new marriage and into the new money and they lose the new money and the new marriage. Why? Because they didn't change. They didn't get free. They didn't release the hurt and the pain. And so they're hanging on to all of this past stuff. And God is like, if you let that go, I've got something so brand new, something so unusual, something so great for your life. Let me give it to you. And can I say something to you just prophetically? I feel like there are some people in this room today, you're waiting for God to refurbish an old thing, but the same God that can restore old things is the same God who wants to do new things. Sometimes you need to stop crying over what was and what you wish would come back and just go ahead and let that go and let God do a brand spanking new thing in your life. Can somebody give God some praise today? That he's not just the God who restores, he's the God who does new things. He does new things. So I need to settle offenses because my ability to deal with offenses will determine how God will be able to use me because I can only grow to the threshold of my ability to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19 and 11 says a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. If you're offended, don't stay away from church. Get in church. Pastor Jabin has taught me that isolation is the tactic of lions. When, whenever the enemy wants to attack you, he's like a lion, the Bible says. What will he do? He wants to isolate you. They don't go for the healthiest. They don't go for the most whole. They don't go for the big group. They go for the one who is out by themselves in isolation. Don't isolate yourself. Get in the house of God because you are never stopped by what someone does to you. You are only stopped when you refuse to let it go. Watch this. And one of the reasons that promotion is avoiding you is because when offended people get more power, get more money or get more influence, all they do is get vindictive. God will start to promote you and use you when you don't have a score to settle and you're not on a mission to get even. Why? Because authority is not a weapon. Authority is a trust. So this is what I need to pray on the daily. God, enlarge my margins for human error. You, you need God to enlarge your margin for human error, especially if you're in church. 
Because there's no offense like church offense. There's nothing like church offense. If you thought come to City Light, you weren't ever going to get offended. <laughs> you're sadly mistaken. Why? Because these are people. Your pastors are people. Your leaders are people. These folks serving are people. Somebody at some point is going to offend you. You need to say, God, increase, enlarge my margin for human error. We stand with me today. This last thought, and I'll finish here. It says, it says in 2 Kings chapter 4, there was a woman. She was a Shunammite woman, and uh, she, was, she was receiving this prophet. He was coming through and, and, and visiting their house, Elisha. And as he was coming through and visiting her house one day, she talks to her husband. She says, hey, we should, we should actually build a, an addition onto our house for him. Uh, that way, when he comes by, he can, he can have his own place. He doesn't feel like he's, he's you know, in our, in our space. He's got his own spot. So they do. They build an addition. And the, the prophet is so overwhelmed by it. He says, hey, I want to do something for you. He's like, is there somebody I can talk to? Is there something I can ask, ask for for you? And his servant looks at him. He says, well, she doesn't have a kid. And he says, okay, well, you're going to have a kid. So she has a baby, grows up. One day her son is working out in the field and he gets heat exhaustion. He passes out and he dies. He dies right there in his mother's arms. She carries him up, the Bible says, to the room that they made for the prophet, to the addition they had put on their house. This is my last thought. You need to create space for God. You need to build an addition. You need to expand. Why? Because when she puts that baby in that room, she goes and she gets the prophet. He comes back and the Bible says he goes to that room. And in that room, a miracle of someone being dead and brought back to life happens. See, when you create a room for God, even though it might be a little bit bigger than is necessary right now, you're actually not just creating a space for the moment. You're creating a room for a miracle you don't even know you need right now. And there are people that need to get in this space. And so whatever happens, however we expand, if it's other facilities or God blesses you with property and land, you get to build what, when you give into that space, you're not just creating a space for what God wants to do in your life. You're creating a space for what God wants to do in your kids and your grandkids. And there are miracles that they are going to need, miracles of healing that they're going to need, deliverance that they're going to need, things that they're going to need from God that they will get in that space because you created a room for God. You said, God, I'm available. My resources aren't always just for me. They're not just so that I can have a bigger bedroom or a bigger car, but I'm going to build a space for you to do miracles that I don't even know I need right now. Can somebody say amen? Can you, can you imagine that? You might not even be here. And your grandkid, great-grandkid walks into a space and over the door it says city light. And they walk in and they walk in and they say, you know, my, my great-grandfather went to church here and I'm lost and I need Jesus. Or I just got a bad report from my doctor or my family you know, is really struggling or my wife or my husband just left me or one of my kids is, and they walk into that room and somebody lays hands on them and prays for them and they receive a miracle in a room that you never really ever slept in, but you created for somebody else to be raised from the dead in. That's what God wants to do in your life when you say, here I am, send me.